So good to be with you this morning. It always does my heart well to be with my church family and to see you guys. And two Sundays ago, I think it was two Sundays ago or last Sunday, I'm, I'm losing track of time. Uh, we started a new sermon series here, and we're, we're following up our sermon series on what true worship is with this sermon series that I've titled Between Sundays. And what we're doing in this sermon series is we're taking a look at what we spend the bulk of our waking hours doing, and that is working. And we're asking some important questions about work because, unfortunately, many people view work as this necessary evil, right? Something that you have to do um, to put a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food on the table. Uh, Gallup, a research organization, they report that 70% of Americans are just punching in and out of their jobs or dislike their work so much that they're actually working against their company's mission. And so we're asking the question in this sermon series, work, <laughs> does it matter? Does God care about work? Does God and his word have anything to say about our work? Is work simply just a part of the fall? Is it something that you just grin and bear until Jesus returns? And so these are the questions that we are seeking to answer in the sermon series. And Last week, we learned by looking at Genesis 1 and 2 some of the answers to these questions. First off, we learned that God is a worker. God works, right? He, we see him in Genesis 1 and 2 working by speaking the world into existence. We see him filling it and subduing it. And we know he works even now as he rules over creation by caring for it and protecting it. Secondly, we learn that God made humans to work. Out of all of God's creation, we are the ones made in his image. And we, in Genesis 1 and 2, were given a specific job description. We're the, you know, only part of creation that was given this specific job description. And then the intellectual and relational abilities to carry it out. So what is the specific job description that God has given us, well, we are to carry on his work of filling, subduing, and ruling over the world. We're to fill the earth by having children and by establishing human societies. We are to subdue the earth by taking the earth's resources and harnessing them and developing them to benefit all of humanity. And then we are to rule over the earth, carry on God's work to rule over the earth. By caring for and protecting his creation. You see, God's design is that the main way that we would reflect his image into the world is by working like him with our godlike abilities. You know, and that is the main way, one of the main vehicles, our work is one of the main vehicles for our worship. Remember in the last sermon series, we defined true worship as loving God supremely with the emotions and affections of our hearts, trusting him supremely with our mind, 
and obeying and serving him supremely with our hands. Our work is one of the main ways that we serve and obey God with our hands. It's one of the main ways that we love our neighbors. We talked about that just a little bit last week. And so, it's not just the pastor's work that is spiritual. It's not just people who work for the church that do spiritual work. So is the architect's work. So is the teacher's work. So is the janitor's work and the construction manager's work and the customer service representative's work. The factory worker's work. The nurse's work. Done for the glory of God, it is God's work. So, this morning, we are asking, what has gone wrong with work? Why are there 70%, why do 70% of Americans just punch in and out of their jobs and just really dislike their work? Why is work not working? If it was created to be this wonderful thing that we did under God as our Lord and our King, and we were to just harness and work, reflecting his image, harness the, the, the earth's creation for the benefit of mankind, why is it not that way? Why is it not joyful, and often it's not fruitful? Well, we're going to look at Genesis 3, and we will find some really important reasons as why as to why work is not working. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Genesis 3. Lord, we are grateful that you call us to worship you, and that your design is that we would worship you through our work, and that as we work for your glory, that we would enjoy it, that we would experience um, a lot of fruit bearing uh, through it that honors you. And, Lord, we just know this isn't, uh, often it's not the case. And so, it look, Lord, as we um, look at Genesis 3, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see what is broken about our work, but also help us to see how you have the power to redeem it and to renew it and transform it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's look at Genesis 3. And I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 13, and then we'll read verses 16 through 19. Now, when I read this, you may not just automatically connect it to work. and may not see the connections, but I hope to make those connections clear. So Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he hid. So he said, sorry, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the, deserp- the serpent de- deceived me and I ate. Now go down to verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. All right, so why is work not working? And Genesis 3 gives us the short answer to why work is not working and so many people are miserable at work. And the, re- <laughs> the, the reason is sin. That's, that's the short answer. It's impossible, I think, for us to overstate the devastating effects of sin. Sin is such a nasty, nasty disease. It's this horrible foreign object that has made its way into God's very good world. And it has negatively impacted every single part of the human experience, including work. In Genesis 3, what it does is it recounts this event when sin entered the world and it was unleashed into God's good creation. You know, we read about Adam and Eve and and they made this decision, instead of working for God in his glory and under his lordship, they decided to be the masters of their own lives, to work for their own glory apart from God, to seek fulfillment apart from God when they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And that unleashed chaos into the world. And so I want to consider with you this morning how sin specifically has negatively impacted, marred, distorted our work. So this is going to be a bit of a sad sermon. But the reason we talk about sin is because in order for us to understand God's redemption, we've got to understand what we've been saved from. 
It, we've got to understand the depth it, uh, of our sin and the nastiness of sin and its effects. So here we go. Here's the first reason that I want to emphasize of how sin has negatively impacted our work. We're going to look at how it's negatively impacted our filling our job responsibility to fill the earth. So look at what Genesis, and we'll look at subduing the earth and ruling the earth, those other parts of our job description. So let's start with that, that first one. How has sin negatively impacted our work of filling the earth? So Genesis 3.16, look at what it says. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiple, multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. So this Filling the earth with more children and with human societies was not supposed to be a painful process. So this is one way that sin has negatively impacted that job responsibility. Child labor, giving birth, carrying a child has become a painful, often very difficult process. Amen from any woman? In, in this room, you know this to be true. You have felt the impact on sins. Uh, you felt the impact of sin's effect on our filling the earth. And not only are pregnancies often difficult and giving birth to children difficult, but the child-rearing process itself is often very difficult. Um, you know, you can do everything right as parents and your children can make choices that just bring so much pain to them and to you and to other people. And then as we raise children, we often fall short as parents, which can cause our kids to have a bunch of issues. If you were to read the very next chapter, Genesis 4, what you will find is Adam and Eve, they had children, they had Cain and Abel, and you read about Cain murdering Abel. Sin is a nasty, nasty disease. It's the most aggressive, fast-spreading, lethal disease known to man. And that's why God told angry Cain before he murdered his brother, he said to him, in Genesis 4, 7, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. So sin has affected the child um, birthing process and the child rearing process. But as I've mentioned, scholars think that this job responsibility of filling the earth isn't just, you know, having more children. It's filling the earth with human societies that flourish. But look, sin has affected that as well. Genesis 3.16, if, if I continue on with that verse, it says this. You know, God's speaking to the, the woman, and he says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Look, God created the marriage relationship to be the nucleus of the family. And we know that as the marriage goes, the family goes. And as the families go... The community goes. And as our communities go, the world goes. Family is the most important part of our society, and marriage is the most important part of a family. 
And what Genesis 3.16 states is that the curse of sin has caused and will cause marriage to be just full of conflict and struggle. Look, the wife will want to dominate her husband and do things her way. And the husband's going to want to dominate his wife and do things his way. Marriage infused with sin, instead of being this relationship of mutual service that leads to mutual fulfillment, is a relationship full of mutual conflict that leads to mutual dissatisfaction. Constant friction, arguments, stonewalling, sadness, emptiness, dissatisfaction, discontentment. There will be a breakdown, God is saying, in marriages that leads to the breakdown of family, that leads to the breakdown of human societies. Filling the earth with flourishing human societies is going to be affected drastically. We see the effects of broken marriages all around us, do we not? How about sins? So that's sin's impact on our job responsibility to fill the earth. How about its impact on our job responsibility to subdue the earth? Again, remember that the Hebrew word behind subdue in Genesis 1.28, it's used in other places in the Bible to refer to the bringing a people or land into subjection so that they can provide some service to you. And so when we think about subduing the earth, God, what he's doing is he's commanding us to work with the material world. Investigate it, develop it, use the earth's resources to benefit humans generally. And God created creation to work with us in that endeavor, to assist us in that endeavor. But look at how the curse of sin has affected our work of subduing. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says, Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. These verses tell us that because of sin, creation is no longer working as it's supposed to work. This is the same thing that the Apostle Paul, he, he tells us in Romans 8, where he talks about the creation has been subjected to futility because of the sin of us. Instead of cooperating with humans, creation often works against our work. Right? For you gardeners, you know this. We planted a garden, um, and then I mowed the garden in July because the weeds and the thistles so consumed it, and we didn't keep up with it. Creation was not helping us out. It made me really frustrated, right? 
not only will creation work against our work, but Genesis 3, 17 through 19 tells us that human work will often be fruitless and frustrating. There will be times when we will work extremely hard to produce something and we won't produce it or we won't be able to produce much of it. Or nothing will come of it, just, just actually something worse. There will be thistles and thorns that will come up, which is worse than producing nothing, right? In other words, projects are going to crash and burn. They will. Some products will not function as they were intended to. Some students will regress instead of make progress. Some, sometimes net, networks that make a whole company run will break down and cause a whole bunch of headaches. I think Ryan Rudocker knows what I'm talking about. He's the technology director at Tesla. There will be times when natural disasters just wipe out a company's infrastructure. There's going to be times when there's too much rain for the farmer or there's not enough rain. There's going to be times when disease destroy the whole crop. When coyotes get to the cattle, machines will break down. And even when we produce work, often it's not nearly as fruitful, as I mentioned before, as we imagined it to be. So there's this stress, there's this frustration, there's this difficulty, there's this pain, there's this fruitlessness in our work. Bear with me. I know this is uh, not the most encouraging uh, message to hear, but it will be. Here's the third way that sin has negatively impacted our work. Well, it's impacted our work of ruling the earth. Remember that God's ruling consists of him caring for and protecting the creation. And we were designed to do the very same thing. We were designed to not only leverage the earth's resources for humanity's benefit, but we were also designed to care for and protect creation. But often this isn't the case, is it? We don't manage it well. We are not good stewards of it. We ruin it. We kill it. Consider first the air we breathe. The World Health Organization reports this. Nine out of ten people now breathe polluted air, which kills seven million people every year. The health effects of air pollution are serious. The World Health Organization reports one-third of deaths from stroke, lung cancer, and heart disease are due to air pollution. Just this past week, the World Health Organization put on a whole big conference specifically targeted to addressing this issue to rally the world. It was a global conference to rally the world around trying to bring about cleaner air. Along with air pollution, <laughs> Americans, we Americans, we also discard more than 30 million tons of plastic a year. That's how much we discard. Only 8% of it gets recycled. The rest ends up in landfills. It ends up being burned or it becomes litter. There are these people, this team of scientists that went on these expeditions. And based on their various expeditions, they estimate 
that there are 5 trillion plastic pieces weighing over 250,000 tons afloat at sea. It's amazing. And we could go on and on. Sin has caused us to exploit creation without much thought at all of how our, effect, our actions affect it, right? So sin has negatively impacted our job responsibility to fill, subdue, and to rule the earth. But here's the one that I think is so difficult for us, and it's this. Sin has negatively impacted our ability to work together. When God created Adam and he put him in the, the garden to work and to keep it, God said there, there was one thing that wasn't good. Remember, he said it wasn't good that Adam was alone filling, ruling, and subduing the earth. Be kind of hard to fill the world without Eve, by the way, right? And so what did God do? He created Adam a helper. He created Eve. And so since the beginning of, of the world and since the beginning of our call to be God's workers in his image, we were designed to work in community. We're not supposed to be just a ton of solitary workers doing our own thing by ourselves, Sin has had disastrous effects on people being able to work together as a team. How many times have you heard somebody say, it's not my job that I mind, it's the people I work with that drive me crazy? How many times have you heard that? I don't mind my work if people would just leave me alone. Or if I didn't have to deal with so-and-so or that person over there. Um... Raise your hand, any hand, if the worst part of your job is dealing with the people you have to deal with. Any, any hands? Yeah, it's, it's legit, it's real. Here's how sin, according to Genesis 3, affects our ability to work as a team. The first one is sin causes us to create facades. Genesis 2 ends with these words, Genesis 2.25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In other words, Adam and Eve, they were totally secure in who they were. They were totally honest and transparent in their relationships to God and to each other. Nothing was hidden. They were not just naked physically, but they were naked emotionally. They were naked spiritually. Their naked, honest, true selves were on full display, right? Genesis 3-7 then says this. Look at what happened when they rebelled against God. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So we have the naked and unashamed in Genesis 2 replaced with the covered and shamed. In Genesis 3, this concealing, this, this deep sense of something is wrong with me. Adam and Eve, what they do is they start to guard who they really are. They start to control what others know about them. They start to hide so people can't see the real them. 
because deep down in, they know that they're broken, right? They know that they're not right. On Thursday, as I was writing this sermon, I came across, I was listening to a John Mayer song, um, and he, here's the lyrics of, of this song that he titled, I Guess I Just Feel Like. It says this, I guess I just feel like nobody's honest, nobody's true, everyone's lying to make it on through. I guess I just feel like I'm the same way too. Think about that. Sin causes us to conceal the real us. It causes us to put a facade up, to wear masks, because we want to hide our real selves. And the result is nobody, there's so much mistrust, right? Facades lead to mistrust. Nobody feels like they can trust anyone. The board of this church, we've worked with this group, the table group, and um, this guy, Patrick Lincioni, and his consultants, they've worked with tons and tons of organizations of all different sizes. They've worked with 78 of the 100 largest U.S. companies, and they have all this sort of experience of working with teams. And guess what? Are, guess what is the number one reason that companies fail to work well as teams, that teams within their organization fail to, fail to work well? It is an absence of trust. In his book, The Five Dysfunctions of the Team, this is, of a team, this is the first one he mentions, an absence of trust. People are afraid of being vulnerable with team members, and that then prevents uh, trust being built on the team and within the team. Sin causes us to create facades that lead to mistrust. Secondly, sin causes us to avoid accountability. And that makes it hard to work as a team. Look at, look at Genesis 3, 9 through 13. God says to Adam, where are you? He says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Then God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then Adam says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. God is saying to Adam, where are you, right? Where are you? And Adam could have said, look, I'm sorry I ate from that tree. I know I wasn't supposed to, and now I have this realization that I'm naked, and I'm ashamed of it, and I'm afraid of you, and so I'm hiding. But Adam doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't admit to his wrongdoing. And then when God, like, pinpoints him with a question, Adam responds by saying, the woman you gave me basically made me do it. So the woman is to blame, and you, God, are to blame for giving me that woman. Right? Adam doesn't want to be held accountable. Eve was no different. She didn't want to be held accountable either. She blames the serpents. For her choice. Guess what's another one of the five dysfunctions of a team that Patrick Lincioni has discovered by working with tons of organizations? Avoidance of accountability. Avoidance of accountability. Isn't it cool when you see people discovering what the Bible has taught for thousands of years? I think it's so cool. 
Look, the workforce, especially corporate America, it's rampant with a work culture that's full of an avoidance of accountability, full of blame shifting, full of a willingness to throw somebody else under the bus if that's going to mean career advancement for yourself. You guys in this room, you've experienced this sort of thing at work. But we shouldn't be shocked by this, should we? Genesis 3 makes it clear that this would be the case. Because that's what sin does. It makes a person is so nasty because it makes us so selfish. It makes a person zealous for their own glory. And that's why they wear masks. Because they don't want anybody to have a different image than what they want to project. And that's why they avoid accountability. They don't want anybody to see them in the wrong. Because then again, it's going to... It's going to take a, it's going to dent their self-image and the, the image that they're projecting. But we all know there's no I in team, right? The pursuit of self-glory ruins any team. Let's review. Work is a gift from God. He designed it as a way for us to reflect his image into the world by using our God-like abilities to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule it. But sin has entered the picture, and it is nasty, nasty, nasty. And as a result, it has had devastating effects on our job responsibility to fill, to subdue, and to rule. And as a result, our work is often full of toil, frustration, and a whole bunch of politics. The question is, and I'll close with this, is there any hope? Does work have to be this way? You know what? There's hope found in Genesis 3 as well. Verses I didn't read, but let me read them to you because God says this to the serpent in verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and in her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head. These are the verses right here that scholars, they call it the proto-evangelium. It's the first announcement of the gospel. It's the first announcement of the good news that God will one day, through a descendant of Eve, Bruise the serpent's head. Now you need to know the Hebrew word behind bruised in this verse. It's pronounced shuf. And it means to break, to crush, to utterly overwhelm. Here God is promising that one day this descendant of Eve will totally crush, utterly overwhelm. And extinguish the evil forces that Adam and Eve and all of us have unleashed on God's good world. And we know that God's promised descendant is Jesus. And that is why at Christmas, which is almost here again, we sing probably my favorite Christmas song because of these lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. 
No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It's wonderful. Here's one more line from the John Mayer song. I think I remember this dream that I had. This love's going to save us from a world that's gone mad. I guess I just feel like what happened to that? Don't you see? Love is going to save us. It's love, the love of God through his son Jesus, who when he returns is going to remove the curse as far as the curse is found. What a day that's going to be. And guess what? The curse is going to remove from, be removed from our work. You know, if you are connected to Christ through faith, your destiny is work. In the new earth, you are going to be working, but it's going to be such an enjoyable, fruitful work. Next week, we're going to talk about how the gospel redeems our work, how it transforms our work. So please come back next Sunday because that will be good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Thank you that we are able to talk about something as important as our work. Lord, we, we do so much of it. We spend so much time there. Lord, help us to be your light in our places of work. Help us next Sunday to start to really consider how the gospel should change our work. Lord, thank you for the pronouncement that you're going to make all things new, including our work. We can't wait for the serpent who you crushed when you were, were sacrificed and then raised from the dead. We can't wait for him to be removed from this world for, for once and for all, forever, at your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.